as David already said, Dan is uh, out of town this weekend, so, and my name is Rufus Williams. I'm one of your elders here at Parkway, and I have the privilege of uh, bringing God's Word to you this morning. Um, We're going to be taking a little bit of a break from Hebrews 11 that Dan's been going through, but we're going to be sticking with the theme that he has been preaching through, which is Faith Works. And today's sermon is titled, Faith Works in the Children of God. Our focus is going to be on a portion of the scripture passage that was just read a little while ago, and that's 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn there, and uh, we'll read that together. I'm going to turn and read it because I'm at that stage in life where I don't need reading glasses yet, but I need these if I want to see you, but it's easier for me to read that. (laughs) Am I in denial about something? So, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your abundant, unfailing love. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that you would bless us with your word. Speak to us. Sanctify us by your truth. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, growing up in a healthy home, for me, meant that uh, I was accustomed to having house rules. Uh, If I did my chores or my homework, then I was allowed to ride bikes or play video games. So there were privileges and responsibilities, right? And most of us who grew up in a healthy home know about privileges and responsibilities. If you take out the trash, then you get to go do what you want afterwards, right? Um, So I was probably a teenager when I began realizing that my understanding and perception of my family experiences and relationships affected my view of myself, my confidence, and my roles and responsibilities in life. I am the oldest of five children of Rufus and Cheryl Williams. Now, those words mean nothing to most of you, but they are packed with meaning for me. My identity as a child of my parents affects me, and so does yours. The same is true spiritually. This passage tells us that God's love has given us an amazing new identity, children of God. In fact, in the version that was up on the screen while Doug was reading, I believe that was the New American Standard that was being shown. It says, look at the love that God has lavished upon us. 
that we should be called children of God. This is, a, this is an amazing thing that we should ponder, to be called his children. And this unique identity that we have is separate from the world. It's separate from our earthly identity, our earthly families, and it belongs to us who have been born of God, those who believe in Jesus Christ and his death for our sins, his resurrection to eternal life, and his future return to judge the world. And this identity that we have comes with privileges and responsibilities. In this passage, these three verses, we're going to be looking at one privilege and one responsibility. So, according to this passage, there is a future privilege that we all share together as children of God, which can be summed up in the word glorification. Glorification. This is our privilege that we have. Now, there's some mystery about our future. Uh, The text says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's some mystery about it, but all that really means is that we don't fully understand everything that this entails. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is clearly a reference to the return of Christ when we will be resurrected to eternal life in glorified bodies which reflect his perfection, goodness, and immortality. When we see him at his return, the power of his resurrection will be exerted upon us, through us, and in us, such that these bodies will shed their perishable mortality and will be fully and finally permeated by his Spirit, who now dwells in us as a down payment, we're told, of this future hope. Paul echoes John's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52, where he says, if I can get my fingers warm enough to tap on the screen, there. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52, Paul echoes John's words where he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Notice that twice Paul writes, We shall be changed, referring to those who trust in Christ. When Christ returns, we will be changed because we will see him as he is in all of his magnificent glory. And we will be made to share in his glory, his magnificence, his immortality, his light. Now, probably the most amazing thing about this privilege that we have is that we didn't earn it. Unlike the privileges that we have to earn in our earthly families, this privilege was earned for us 
by Jesus Christ. We've been granted this privilege because of the love of God for us through the work of Christ for us on the cross. Jesus earned it for us. We cannot earn glorification any more than we can earn being born of God. Now, I just want to clarify this. For the sake, if this has never crossed your mind before, when the Scripture says that we are born of God, I want you to think about how involved you were and whether or not you were born as a human being. I didn't have anything to do with it. That was Rufus and Cheryl, right? But now I am born of them. We don't earn this privilege. God has granted it to us through his love. It is the Lord's work in us. And as Paul puts it in Romans 8, 29, and 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that he says that those whom God foreknew or foreloved, he predestined, justified, and glorified, all stated as if past tense and already accomplished. Why? Because Christ has indeed accomplished these things for all who would believe in him. We have been made right with God through the cross work of Christ and will be glorified at his return because of our union with him through faith in his resurrection. But why has God chosen to do this? Why has he chosen to love us in such a way that he calls us children and he promises us glorification? Well, it's because it is his desire and design to have a human family of sons and daughters who reflect the perfect glory, radiance, and image of his supreme son, the God-man. Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's why John says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, this amazing privilege comes with a very sobering responsibility. The text tells us that all who have this future hope in Christ, this future certainty of glorification with him, purify themselves just as he is pure. If we have been born of God, if we have faith in Christ, if we see our future glorification with Christ, though dimly, then we will desire to please our Heavenly Father. And we will desire to reflect His glory now in our lives. 
We cannot persist in a pattern of knowingly sinning against God. Now, this doesn't mean that we never sin. Elsewhere in 1 John, we are told that we are liars if we say that we have no sin, and we're also told that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us because of Jesus. But what this does mean is that we will pursue moral rightness and inner purity in our lives according to His standards. As His children, we don't get to make up our own rules. We don't get to define our own sexuality, our own morality, or ethics. He does. He desires purity in our inmost parts. Righteousness and purity are reflections of Him, and our lack thereof reflects poorly on Him as our Father. And He takes sin very seriously in our lives, enough to crush His Son because of it. We're told in verse 5 of this chapter that Christ appeared in order to take away sins. And in verse 8, that He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Now, talking about the devil is not socially or politically correct, I know. Um, But we have a spiritual enemy who hates us and who hates God. And he has been sinning, rebelling against God from the very beginning. He is the cause of sin entering the human race through deceiving our first parents, which brought sin and death to us all. And while most humans fear death, we think very little about our sin. We think very little about our selfish desires and our rebellion against God as being the root cause for our calamity and ultimate destruction. And this is what Jesus came to destroy through His righteous life, death, and resurrection, sin and death. He came to destroy sin and death. How then can we continue to live a life of sin, knowing that this is what He came to destroy. If we know Christ, then we're not ignorant of this. And if we know Christ, then we know that we ought to please Him. Jesus did not die to reconcile us to our sin. He did not die to reconcile us to our sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? He didn't die so that we would feel comfortable with our sin, so that we would feel at ease with it, so that we could coddle it and protect it in all of those dark recesses of our souls. No, He died to reconcile us to God. By putting sin to death on the cross as our one and only suitable substitute. And he was raised to life 
as proof of God the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice. Consider these other passages of Scripture that remind us of this responsibility that we have of putting sin to death in our lives and pursuing purity as God's children. First, Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, as you read through these verses and you look at these lists, there is quite a variety. I mean, some people might even read them and say, man, that's an, that's an extreme list. I mean, that goes from like sexual immorality and orgies to envy, divisions, dissension. Like, I mean, that's a pretty broad list. But yeah. Because pretty much sin covers a whole bunch of stuff. Because ultimately, it's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of our hearts as to whether or not we are truly submitting our lives to Christ, to His Lordship, and whether or not we really are considering the death that He died for our sin. Because we're all going to have sin in our lives, and it may not look like the guy next to us, but it doesn't matter. Right? Because it's not about me comparing myself to you. It's about me comparing myself to Christ. So we've been given an amazing privilege glorification. And we've been given a sobering responsibility, purification. We have the hope of glorification with Christ at His return, and we ought to seek righteousness, holiness, and purity in our lives because of this. Or put another way, the hope that we have of our future glorification with Christ should work in us to produce Christ-likeness. 
Our faith should produce works in our lives. And I don't just mean activity. I mean spiritual work, purity, sanctification, living righteously, and loving others. Galatians 5.22-24 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, part of our problem is that we are still in these mortal eggshells with cracks and flaws and very weak desires to be like Christ. And we underestimate just how serious God our Father is about conforming us to the image of His Son. He will work in us who are His children. He expects us to pursue purity, and He will work in us. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And Philippians 2.12-13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's made us children. And now that we're His children, we're members of His household. If it's His house, it's His rules. He defines righteousness, purity. Now, as His children, I'm going to tell you that there's times when we do not understand what is going on in our lives. Okay? And we don't understand sometimes what's going on in someone else's life. And... uh, now that I guess I could officially say I'm middle-aged, um, I've seen it. I've seen the struggles that my brothers and sisters go through. And it makes you wonder, God, what are you doing? But he doesn't always tell us. But we can be confident that what he is doing is working in us to make us more like his son.
He's not going to ask us how we think he should do it. That's not how it works. But what we should be doing is pursuing the purity that he desires to see in us. And this is where we will find joy. As we pursue the purity that God desires to see in us, we will find joy. I urge you today, as a believer in Christ, to set your heart on our future hope of glorification. Set your heart and mind on our future hope of glorification with Christ at his return. And pursue purity in your life. Confess your sin to God and receive the forgiveness and strength that comes through Christ alone. Refocus on Christ. Remind yourself of the identity that he has given to you and live your life as a child of God. Live your life with that identity. If you are here today and you are not trusting in Christ, then I urge you to believe in him. I have presented to you the core of our Christian faith. What will you do with Jesus? Will you turn from your selfish, rebellious ways and believe in the death, resurrection, and return of Christ? Will you receive him by faith and be granted this new identity as a child of God? If you don't know him here today, I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing, amazing grace, your great love for us. I thank you for your goodness and kindness to us, and I pray that your word would work in power in us to sanctify us as your people and be glorified in our presence. In Christ's name I pray, amen.